You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 16, your relationship to food, nutrition myths, misnomers, and mindset. On this episode, I really want to take a deep dive into what it means to have a relationship with your food and with nutrition. How do you see it? How do you view food? Is it simply just an energy or fuel source? Or do you view it as more of a preventative medicine? Or have you never really thought about it? I want to start off by just laying out this idea of food and nutrition in a culture. Obviously, we're all eating food. As a society, food differs drastically from culture to culture, person to person, from needs of individuals. So there's kind of a central question when looking at cultures. If you kind of want to start to understand where they're deriving their cultural practices and energy, and this question centers around food. Where's the food coming from? What's their relationship with the food? What does it look like when they're interacting with food? It's a key question that if you're doing any type of anthropological research gets asked, and it should get asked more in the nutrition field. But a lot of times it gets glossed over. We get so nitty gritty into the details of nutrition that the question why or how we view the relationship to food gets missed. I want to take a deep dive into that on this episode. Chances are, if you are in a developed nation, especially in the Western world, you don't have a myopic sole focus on getting food. It's very possible that you don't even really think about eating. Some people think about food as kind of an inconvenience, that they have to stop their day to consume calories. Now, that becomes very different if you don't have enough food and there's food scarcity in the culture, because then you have a myopic focus on getting enough calories for the day. If you're in a survival type situation, your main motivation is food and getting enough calories for survivability. We don't do that in the West. We have the luxury of thinking about food or not thinking about food is a better way of putting it. And really, that's meant altering the landscape so we can have a massive surplus of food. And what that's done is it's ended up altering the nutritional value of that food. So those two are inextricably linked together. They can't be separated at this point. When you start farming practices and you start animal husbandry and plant husbandry, then you start changing the nutrition of the food on the landscape. And when you're eating that through generations, as we've seen, it starts to affect nutrition. There's a lot of people in the nutrition field, very high up in the nutrition field, that fo solely focus on this idea of calories in, calories out, where you'll hear them say things like, everything is a molecule, or everything is a chemical, and it doesn't really matter what you're putting in. It just, it's food coming in, it's food going out. It's like some weird reductionist idea of a bank account where you just have money coming in, money going out, and you don't want a massive surplus at the end of the day because it's going to cause dysfunction. It's a very, very basic way of looking at food and nutrition. And that's where a lot of people end up. That's why counting calories is such a big business. 
the quality gets washed away in that mindset, in that mentality of calories in, calories out. Because it's almost like saying it doesn't really matter what type of food you're getting in as long as you're kind of shoring up that ratio of calories in, calories out. It's basically taking like a preschool understanding to a PhD problem. So this idea that everything is a chemical, it's too sim- it's overly simplistic. I'll give you an example. With that line of thinking, take the coca plant, a very, very valuable plant in the Andes. When you're dealing with high-altitude populations, it thins the blood out. It increases energy. It's a very, very valuable resource. You chew on coca leaves. You get a little bit of a buzzy type of feeling, less than coffee. It's got this kind of ethereal feeling to it, almost like kind of theobromide type feeling that you get from chocolate, that chemical that comes and just gives you this kind of good feeling. Very, very valuable plant in areas of the Andes, for example. You compare the full spectrum and full chemical makeup of that plant to cocaine, extremely different. Both are chemicals, but they have vastly different properties to them. Cocaine is an ultra-refined drug from the coca plant that you would never get in nature. So saying everything is a chemical, even if it's man-derived, it's a slippery slope to go down because we know that The concentrations and the makeup of chemicals can have a profound effect on the body. So this idea that everything's a chemical and it's just chemicals in, chemicals out, it's too simplistic. You know, it could be a tiny place to start, but you need to move past that quickly. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a world of hurt if that's where you end up in your understanding with your relationship to food and nutrition. And as I mentioned before, there are people with a lot more letters behind their name that are preaching this. It's a very common practice, unfortunately. And you definitely see it a lot in athletics and collegiate sports and things like that. I mean, when I've done sports nutrition work, a lot of that focus is just kind of calories in, calories out. Because you have athletes that are burning calories at a very, very high rate. And so it's this oversimplistic thing that people latch on to. But when it comes to competitive athletics, your nutrition needs to be the best it can possibly be. Because as I'm sure you guys know that are listening, the quality of food and the quality of your nutrition is going to drive your body to perform. If you're eating a bunch of processed food, you know, a bunch of just garbage, your body's not going to function well at a high level. And that's where a lot of injuries start stemming from because you're not feeding yourself on a cellular level. And that happens a lot. It happens a lot in collegiate sports. It happens a lot in professional sports. So what's your relationship with food? Where's your food coming from? How do you view it? And an athlete might look good, right? They may have really good muscle mass, really low fat, but they could be drastically unhealthy if they're not careful. Their body could start to fall apart. And I've seen this. I've seen this happen to people where if they didn't take nutrition seriously, you know, they were eating things like gummy bears and, you know, just garbage food that didn't give them real nutrition. And then you go push your body at a high level and things start to break down. And you can get away with this for a while. 
if you're in your early 20s, yeah, you can push your body to the limit and you may not get injuries, at least not right away, but I promise it will catch up with you. It always does. No one gets out of that unscathed. And you hear sentiments like, food is just fuel, you know, or get it in so we can burn it. And you definitely see it time and time again in kind of the sports world or even at gyms. Have you ever worked with a personal trainer? Did they talk about nutrition at all, except maybe try to sell you on their supplements they have sitting on the shelf? Maybe some creatine powder or some protein? Yeah, been there, done that. I spent my whole 20s in a gym taking all sorts of stuff. It was terrible for me. And if you're smart, you start to pay attention to your body and you feel like shit. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people just keep going in that mentality, buying tubs of protein and pre-workout supplements, you know, I'm guilty of it, right? Been there, done that, doesn't work well. So really what I'm getting at with all this is your view of nutrition and food should be flexible. It should have some plasticity throughout the different stages in your life because calories in, calories out might work for a little bit in your 20s. How's that going to look for you in your 80s when you can't burn calories like you could in your 20s? It doesn't work. It's a failing model from the beginning. Keep flexible through the different stages of your life because you need different nutritional value and different approach to nutrition throughout the different stages in your life, especially if you're dealing with any type of disease or medical issues. You need to be able to shift your nutrition with the things that come up. Here's another question. Why are you buying the food that you're buying? What makes you walk into a grocery store and pick up item A versus item B. Do you do it for nostalgia purposes? Have you raised your kids and they're all grown up and out of the house and you're still buying the cereal that they used to eat? Are you still buying those Honey Nut Cheerios or those Frosted Flakes? I bet some of you are, or at least know people that do that. It becomes easy when there is a surplus of food. You can get emotional attachments to that food that's always there. It never leaves. Does food ever remind you of a time in your life when you were happy or sad? Do you go to a food, a particular food, when you're sad? Do you go to a comfort type of food? And I'm not trying to say that food isn't a morale booster or that you can't use food to uplift your spirits because that's ridiculous. Of course you can. We've all done it. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Where it starts to become an issue is not understanding your own patterns of how you're eating and what you're bringing into your kitchen. I don't care personally what you bring into your kitchen. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect my life. But do you even know why you're buying the food to begin with? Do you know why you're bringing it into the house? Have you ever thought about it? Or is it an automatic response based maybe purely on emotion or stress at the given time? When you go to the grocery store to buy the food, have you ever gone to the grocery store hungry and you end up buying way too much food? Or the opposite, you go to the grocery store full and nothing sounds good or looks good? Why are you buying the food that you're buying? Do you buy the food that you're buying because you're stuck in a rut with cooking and recipes? Are you cooking the same food that you've been cooking the last 50 years because you haven't just branched out and tried anything new and you're buying the same brand of beans that you've been buying for 50 years and doing it the exact same way? Do you have an imagination when it comes to food? Or is it just the same humdrum meals day in, day out? See, food should be exciting. It should light you up. 
It should lift your spirit. It should be a morale booster. If it's not, then things start to become very boring, very, very uninteresting. And that curiosity, that driving mechanism of what drove people in the advancement of humanity gets lost. Because again, it's all about the food. I'll say that again. It is all about the food when you have to go and do it and get it yourself. If it's not sitting on a store shelf, then believe me, your life would quickly would be a myopic focus on how you get food to sustain your life and keep going. That has been essentially the last 300,000 years of human development has been based on that question. It's only been since the last 10,000 years that we've had way more than enough, that we've been able to shift our thinking and shift our focus away from food. But it's caused a lot of issues. And we're seeing that play out more and more generation after generation. And it not only has nutritional impacts on populations, it has psychological impacts on populations. I mean, look what we're doing. Now we're arguing whether you should eat only meat or only vegetables, only plants. There wasn't a time in history that you could argue that. You ate what was widely available in the season that it was available. And I don't want to make it sound like your sole focus should be on food alone because that's a bit silly. I mean, obviously, we've seen huge advancements in the world because we aren't in a scarcity of food. I'm not saying scarcity of food is a good thing. I'm just saying ignoring your own dietary patterns and your own patterns of eating and buying food starts to be a major, major disconnect, not only from yourself, but from the world around you. And that's where the issues start to come in. And the reality is, yeah, we have more surplus in food than we ever have had throughout human history in this current moment. There's the flip side of that. The shadow side of that is we have more food waste than we've ever had throughout human history. Which brings me to another question of how much food are you wasting? How much of that food that you bring into your kitchen on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis are you actually eating? Is your food waste super, super high? Or do you consciously manage the food that you buy so you don't waste it? Or have you ever thought about food waste? I bet you know plenty of people that have never thought about the food that they waste. And look, food waste happens. You don't need to feel guilty about food waste. Keeping that in mind, obviously, it's not like you want to be buying a ton of food and throwing out half of it. I mean, that's silly. But there's always been food waste. Since people have been eating, there has always been food waste. We love to glamorize that hunter-gatherer populations used the whole animal and every part of the animal, and it's just not true. They had a use for every part of the animal, but they didn't use the whole animal every time they killed the animal, right? Does that make sense? I mean, you start looking at some of the hunting practices by hunter-gatherer populations, they were, let's take North America, for example, they would drive herds of buffalo off cliffs. There's no way that they would be able to eat hundreds of buffalo in a community like that of, let's say, 100 people even, right? Of course, there's going to be food waste. But being that they were in a natural environment, other animals got those resources. Other animals got that food. Whereas in today's world, a lot of that ends up just in a landfill, not getting utilized by the earth or by other species. So food waste, in my mind, becomes a question of what are you actually eating? 
you might feel all high and mighty at the store getting all your vegetables and you're going to be super healthy and this is the week you're actually going to do it. This is the week you're actually going to buckle down and eat super healthy, right? You get home, you have a stressful week, you're exhausted. Do you eat all that healthy food that you bought? Or does it sit in the back of the fridge getting old and you eventually throw it out because you didn't need it? Do you go in and out of that cycle all the time? I bet some of you do. Matter of fact, I do that occasionally, right? We all do that to some degree or another. Catching these trends that you do, catching these kind of cycles you go in and out of is important when it comes to food and nutrition. Because the more you can stay cognizant of it and stay on top of it, the better it's going to be. What are your eating patterns like throughout the day? Do you freak out if you don't have food around you? I mean, it's a real thing. I joke with my wife all the time, and <laughs> I call her a competitive eater. Because there's some, sometimes some serious competition when it comes to eating food with her. She comes from a big family, and she's the youngest in the family. And there was some competitiveness when it came to the good food in the house, or at least quote-unquote good food. I mean, ice cream is uh, an interesting one. Those of you that came from a big family or from a big family know what I'm talking about, right? When there's a bag of chips laying around, there's going to be a fight to the death sometimes for those, right? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So... Knowing where you're coming from, are you coming from a place of some food scarcity where you feel like there's not going to be enough around for you? Do you overstock all your pantry shelves and your refrigerator and freezer with food that you may or may not eat just because it brings you comfort? Or do you know people that always have snacks on them wherever they go? They maybe have Ziploc bags full of snacks that they can eat. There's these perpetual behaviors that we put forth into our lives that become so ingrained, we don't even stop to think about them after a while. It just becomes kind of what we do and who we are. It's important to examine your behaviors around food and nutrition often because you can fall into these traps very easily, especially in this day and age when there's such a surplus of resources going around. It's very, very easy to fall into these traps of food and nutrition that are a lot of times put forth by the nutrition field and nutrition researchers. And there becomes this idea that we need to oversimplify eating and nutrition for people because they can't understand it. And I'm not sure about that. I just think that people don't put enough thought into it. When you try to oversimplify something by saying it's all chemicals, and it's just calories in, calories out, you miss essentially everything of really what food is about. Food has been the main driver that sustains, perpetuates the human population into perpetuity. Without food, none of that is possible. And it's still biologically the main driver we have today, but our values have been way off and way skewed. And then you start talking about the engineering and the addictive kind of engineering properties that are put into our food system and the food that we're consuming, and things start to go way off the rails. Because then you get this habitual eating that you can't really control because your brain's getting flooded with chemicals that just tell you to keep eating. But yet, 
your cells are starving to death, meaning you're not getting valuable nutrition on a cellular level. And we've talked a lot about that. Remember that you can fall into these traps, especially with a very modernized food system that we're in. It's very, very easy to do, especially like we talked about in moments of stress or weakness, when life gets hard. That's usually when people start to fall apart or on the very, very extreme end. Look at eating disorders. Look at something like anorexia. You're dealing with a whole slew of psychological issues surrounding food that becomes very, very destructive. You know, a lot of that can come from trying to gain control of your biology and your body. And since food is kind of the one thing that no one else can control, a lot of that stems from that kind of thinking and that framework that you're working in, and it becomes extremely detrimental. And a lot of people struggle with it. And you can do that through various types of strict diets too. And we've talked about that a little bit already in previous episodes. Food can, you can come at it from kind of control issues and trying to control things. There's also what's called orthorexia, which is another really important thing that needs to be addressed in a lot of people. Orthorexia is being scared to eat certain foods. You see that a lot in the health world. You see it a lot in nutritionists and people that are trying to be super healthy. They get scared of eating certain things because they worry it's going to be damaging to them. And that's just as bad almost as overeating or not eating at all, right? There's a fine balance that you have to keep in all of this. We've all seen and known people that have eaten their way into chronic disease. Look at type 2 diabetes. That's somebody who is so dysfunctional in their relationship with food that they've eaten themselves into disease that could potentially kill them. That's a big deal. That's somebody who's unwilling to examine their eating patterns and unwilling to face the reality that what they're eating is slowly killing them. And a lot of times, it's not even necessarily about the food at that point. It becomes about what's going on with their life in general. So why are you eating the food that you're eating? Have you thought about why you're eating the food you're eating? Is there something you need to change? Is there something you want to change? I can't imagine that anybody in their right mind would choose to have type 2 diabetes. If you could pick and choose your disease, I don't think Anybody would choose a diseased state versus a healthy state. So why are we getting into diseased states with our actions and what we're putting on our body? And you see that with something like alcoholism too. Again, in hunter-gatherer situations, they drank alcohol. At times, they would drink a lot of alcohol. You want to talk about binge drinking? There was a lot of binge drinking going on. People knew how to ferment. <laughs> right? The difference is it wasn't around all the time. You had a short season where you could ferment things and then the alcohol was gone. That behavior doesn't create alcoholics. It can't because there isn't enough alcohol to become an alcoholic and to become dependent on alcohol. This day and age, we have a surplus of alcohol. Alcohol is everywhere. You can drink 24-7 if you want to. I can't imagine anybody would choose to become an alcoholic if there wasn't something driving them to become an alcoholic. You see what I mean? So we get into these patterns usually because of internal external circumstances. 
And a lot of the times it has nothing to do with the substance that has caused the disease. It's a tool that gets used. It's a tool to cover up. It's a tool to hide. It's a tool to cope. But it becomes so unbalanced and so off the rails that it leads to ill health and potentially death. And no one except you has the final say of what is going in your body. No one can control what you put in your body. I mean, there's, I guess have historically been people that have tried, you know, and there's a lot of fear-mongering and social pressure to eat and behave certain ways when it comes to food. But at the end of the day, it's on you, which can be a wonderful thing, or it can be a huge detriment, depending on how you're looking at and the state that you're in. Okay, uh, I want to move on to an exercise that can easily be done, and it allows you to examine how you're thinking about food and what you want to get out of it. All right, so this exercise starts by you asking yourself a simple question of, what do I want my goal to be in regards with nutrition? So that could be, I would like to lose weight, or I would like to better manage my diabetes, or I would like to better manage fill in the blank. Make it very personal to what you want to change. The next step is going into your pantry, into your fridge, into your freezer, into your cupboards, and getting every single food item, supplement item, everything out on the counter where you can see it all. And if this is sounding somewhat familiar already, I'm taking this from Marie Kondo's work of tidying up. That's the book title she has, where you go through the house and you do this practice of taking everything out and displaying it and going through and asking yourself a question of, does this bring me joy? If it does, then you keep it. If it doesn't, then you get rid of it. We're going to do the same thing with the food in your house. So you go into your fridge, you go into your freezer, you go into your pantry, you get everything on the counter or wherever you can fit everything, depending on how much food you have. And you look at every single item and you ask yourself, does this help me achieve my overall goal that I want to achieve? Does this help me lose weight? Will this food item help me manage my diabetes? If the answer is no, then get it the hell out of the house. If the answer is yes, then keep it. Do this with your grocery list, too, before you go to the store. Is this food going to help me reach my goal? If it isn't, don't buy it. If it is, then buy it. Chances are, when you pull everything out of your cupboards and pantry and freezer and fridge, you're going to find stuff in there that you haven't touched in a long time. Back to wasting food and food waste. Sometimes you don't even remember what you have sitting in the back of that cupboard, that quarter-eaten box of Triscuits that is become part of the furniture, right, that you haven't touched in six or eight months, that you just need to get rid of. Clean stuff up and set an intentional goal of what you want to achieve when it comes to your diet. You need to take a look at this stuff physically. Actually take a look at it. Actually hold it. Touch it. Does it bring you closer to what you want to get out of nutrition and your life and health? It's a very simple practice. Anybody can do it. You just have to do it. And from there, you can start to develop strategies to declutter and to decomplicate your life when it comes to food and nutrition. But until you get through all that initial stuff, it makes it very difficult to even know what you have in your own house, in your own kitchen. If I was to come into your house and do a one-on-one -on -one nutrition consult with you, which I am more than happy to do, if anybody's listening, 
and need some direction, please let me know. If you're in the Bay Area or in California in general, let me know. I'm more than happy to help you. This is where I would start. I would start with the question of what are your nutrition goals? And then, okay, great. How do we get there? Does the food you have in your house right now reflect your nutrition goals? Or does it only take away? Does it only bring you farther from your nutrition goals? Very basic questions, a very basic approach, and one that people don't use often. You know, I can sit and talk all day long about the technical aspects of nutrition and what it does cellularly in the body and how it affects your mind and overall physiology, but none of that matters if you don't have a clear mindset and a clear goal of what you even want to get out of the food that you're eating. Because ultimately, nutrition is nothing. It's meaningless without the food. There is no nutrition without food. But the type of food matters. The type of chemical matters. Yes, everything is a chemical. But those chemicals, they matter. <laughs> and they matter a lot. Don't fall into the trap that it's just calories in, calories out. All you have to do is count calories. It doesn't work, believe me. It does not work. If it was that simple, then nobody would be overweight. But yet people are. You have to examine your eating behaviors and the patterns of eating. If you truly like to change behavior. That's where you have to start. And that's where a good nutritionist starts. You start with the big stuff. You start with the broad picture of what do you want to accomplish? Why are you eating the way you're eating? Why are you buying the food that you're buying? Is it really going to help you get to where you want to go? And then from there, you can start to drill down and get into the more detailed kind of myopic focus of what an individual food will do to your body and overall physiology. But if you lose sight of the big picture of what food actually is, then none of it is going to make sense and you're not going to stick to anything because there's going to be no valid reason to stick to a more disciplined diet. You have to have the larger context framed in your brain in a way that you can relate and understand it. Again, no one can make you change your eating behaviors or behaviors around food or nutrition in general. Only you. And if anybody says that they can change things, they're lying. They can't. They can guide you. They can offer you recommendations. They can lay out a beautiful case for why you should. But ultimately, this is on you. It's all on you. The one benefit of living in a culture that has so much food around and so many options is that there are amazing substitutes for the food that you're already eating. So if you do that exercise where you take everything out and examine each thing and you're at a loss for how to replace it with a healthier option, then all you have to do is really spend some time looking into it. That white sugar you have sitting in the cupboard, could you replace it with maple sugar or honey that's locally sourced that isn't going to spike your glucose as quickly? Could you do that? Could you replace your flour with stone ground flour? Or better yet, could you substitute the flour for something completely different? Could you substitute it for, let's say, acorn flour or cassava flour? There's always healthier options. Why are you buying the food that you're buying? Is it a comfort thing, seeing that brand sitting in a refrigerator? If you want help moving forward into the future, you're going to need to ask yourself those questions. Whenever I come across a new food or something I really haven't worked with in a recipe or something like that, I ask myself, what's this going to do, not only in my body, but the overall meal that I'm preparing? And it, are there other options? Are there healthier options, more natural options, 
options that are less processed. Look at each food item as an individual experience. Can it get better? Can you be buying the best food possible? And ultimately, the question of money arises in that type of thinking. Can I afford it? Right? Oh, it's expensive. Well, yeah, some foods are quite expensive. But what are you really valuing? Do you need Disney Plus? Do you need Hulu and Netflix? Do you need to be buying 90% of the stuff you're buying? Can you revert some of your money to buy the best food possible for you? I bet a lot of you could. Yes, the best possible food can get quite expensive. But I bet a lot of you listening could probably cut some things out of your life that you don't need that isn't going to make you healthier so that you could get to health. And you're going to have to re-examine it at different stages in your life. You're going to have to redo this process because, again, nutrition shifts at different times and different stages of your life. You have to reevaluate things because what works now may not work later. It actually may be a little more detrimental than it is helpful. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. I think of the food that I'm buying as an investment into my health for the future. I'd rather spend the money now keeping my body healthy while I'm young through my entire life as I age so I don't have anything major come up that I could have avoided with proper nutrition. Does that hit home a little bit? Is there something that you could do now to avoid a long-term consequence later in regards to your nutrition? If the answer is yes, then do it because it's ever increasingly rare that people think about the future consequences of the food that they're eating in the present moment. Again, no one would choose to have obesity and type 2 diabetes, but yet those are two of the most common diseases in the Western world. And if you could push a button to erase it all, people would push that button, guaranteed. So you need to think about the future consequences of the food that you're eating in the present moment. Because contrary to popular media, Obesity isn't healthy. It's a detriment to your health, and you will pay consequences later on in your life. You may not feel it in this exact moment, but you will pay a price for it. And worse yet, your kids and grandkids will pay a price for it because you've passed down predisposition to them. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do? So I think I'm going to leave this here. If this hits home for you, or you know somebody where this will really resonate with them, please share this podcast. If you need help in changing your relationship with food, please reach out to me directly. I am always more than happy to help you. Even if it's just a simple question, reach out. It needs to be talked about more. And I know it can get very confusing very quickly. So if you need some help, I am more than happy to help you. All you have to do is go to ancestralelements.com, go to the contact tab, and you'll find my information there. Again, thank you for listening to another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. 